Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. And this week on the panel, we have Adi Iyengar. Hello. Alan Weimar. Hello. And me, Sasha Wolf. And we have a special guest this week, and that is Eric Sullivan. And Eric, why don't you tell people why we invited you and why you're here and why we love you? Oh, great. I didn't know it was already loved. That's perfect. Uh, I was hoping to get a little more of that talking about Elixir. So I've been doing that since uh, 2015. I've been starting around when it was 1.0, used it at my previous company, and I've started a company now in Tever, and we've released projects, product Severus, and I was forward to talking about that and some of the technical design decisions and how Elixir fit really well with it. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So why don't you stop people off of like telling a bit of the story of Severus and like how you came to this idea and like what made you choose Elixir? Like basically like walk, walk us through the history there, right? Sure. The history is actually a lot longer than I probably want to admit. I had the idea around 2015, started developing a couple of years later, went through a few iterations, threw them away. I definitely wasn't doing the lean startup methodology, but uh, I'm getting a little close to that. But it was really started with greeting cards, which are kind of funny since a lot of people don't use them anymore. But I like sending out greeting cards. When my wife and I got married in 2010, we got a list of a whole bunch of relatives. And I thought it'd be cool. Every year, we'll send them greeting cards. And it's something that we talk with them about once a year. But we never really get the information when they move. And it's something that does happen. And over the years, the last decade or so we've been doing that, people move. And we always had to check, well, did they move? Are they updated? Do we have the address? And I just wanted something that would keep it up to date. And uh, that's essentially one of the problems that I was trying to solve with it. It would be really cool if there was a way that you could keep addresses up to date. And from there, it sort of spiraled in a whole bunch of directions, which was you know all contact information, addresses, phone numbers, etc. You should be able to keep them up to date, share them, make it easy. And then I've started, as I started seeing this problem and going into other locations, um, a dentist office where you have to fill out that form where you fill in your name and phone number and allergies and stuff. And then every time they ask, is this contact information still up to date? You just see it everywhere that this is something that you spend time with, businesses spend time doing. And I didn't see a great solution for it. So I just wanted somewhere I could go, enter my contact information, share it with other people, other businesses, and have it be kept up to date. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially because I, I can totally relate to the, to the problem because a few years back, what we, we bought a flat in the city we live in and we moved into that flat. And 
and like moving means we like moved three houses further. Like <laughs> before we had like an apartment there rented, but it was like three houses further, right? Like so, so the address technically changed. And then you need to jump still through all of the hoops to like update your address in the co- company places, which said right. mailings, blah, 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 blah. And that, is, that was so, so annoying because in, in that case, it was just this one little letter <laughs> which changed. Right. But still, like I, I feel the pain. I feel the pain. Yeah, and I think everyone does. It's not a pain you feel daily, but it's something, given enough time, you're going to feel that pain. We have the USPS. You can update your address through that. And then you start getting the letters that all have the little yellow label on them. And they're like, okay, have fun reaching out to whoever it is to make sure that you get it updated. And then you have to remember everyone. And there's some problems if you don't remember everyone. One of the ones that I think is going to be a really good fit are emergency contacts. At the beginning of the school year, my they want to know who your emergency contacts if we can't get in touch with you. And if um, my aunt is one of those, but if she gets a new phone number, I am not going to remember to update that or the YMCA or things like that. Having a way to keep track of everyone you've ever shared your information with is very valuable in that case. And then you can choose, maybe you don't want to share it with some people and update it. But yeah, when you move a couple houses down, it would be, here's everyone I've ever shared my address with. That makes it a lot easier to update them. And I built an automated process around it. So is there that that opt out process? Because um, I think everybody has a couple of people. Where you just say, "Hmm, this X. I don't think I want another know where I'm moving to." You know, this kind of yeah. That's what I think is really exciting about it because there are Android and iOS have similar features. But as far as I've seen, it's that if you're in someone's contact book, they'll update it and you don't have much control over it. And so this is all about giving you control over your data. And specifically that case, I think, is one of the really interesting ones is you share your phone number with a bunch of people. You see everyone that you've ever shared it with. If you don't want someone to be able to contact you again, you can block their number, but there's nothing stopping them from using a different phone and being able to contact you. What would be great is if everyone were on a system like this and you wanted to have some people that couldn't contact you anymore, we'll change your number then. If everyone that you want to contact with can get your updated phone number, just pick a new number. And then the old number is basically worthless. And uh, that would be the idea. So the the Severus is actually named, uh, well, the root of Sever is because it's actually both making these connections, but also being able to break them. And there's a lot on the privacy model where I've thought about it. And same with like the GDPR, the right to be forgotten. Right now, once you share your contact information, information with someone, you're up to their terms of service, their privacy policy, and kind of whatever they feel like doing with it. Good thing I live in Europe then. <laughs> yes. No, but I was thinking about I like the idea of Telegram where like somebody can message you and maybe you really don't want them to message you again. You could delete the conversation. You can choose delete on both sides. So you can truly just cut them out. But I don't yeah. think there's a way that you could say don't hold on to my handle or whatever. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think is so neat and novel about this. I actually applied for a provisional patent. I don't know if it'll go through because it's technology and that's pretty hard, but the title was Building a Communication Network Without Globally Unique Identifiers. And so that's the same thing to handle. Like, How could you build a system where you can communicate with people and you don't share your phone number and you don't share an email and you don't share a handle? 
And that's what we did here. And I have a demo. I don't know if we wanted to go through it, but it would be the idea that right now over the phone, I could give you a short code that you could type in. Anyone could type in, but it doesn't give you any information about me. It's just a temporary code. And I could verify that you responded to that because we're talking right now. And you could say, you know, here's the code that I used to respond. And then we'd actually have a connection where we, I built chat into it. And so we could start chatting. I could also share a phone number. I have a Google voice IP number, where the goal was, I'll give that out and then change it every month. But we could start having a chat. And within a minute or so, you could have my phone ring over here. And we could do that publicly over this communication channel without actually sharing my phone number. And because it isn't that permanent connection, if this conversation is over, I can remove it. And you don't have any way to identify me. Every user connection is a unique ID. And so if I'm talking with you, and you see that ID, you can't go to say audience say, hey, look, I was talking to Eric, here's the ID, because he would say, I don't know who that ID is for. Um, so they're all unique. And it tries to do that. You know, I think it's pretty new. Yeah, can we do the demo? I mean, if you could be verbose yeah. talking, I think I think it would uh, be helpful for people who cannot see this. Yeah, absolutely. This, this, this is really attractive, actually. I, I really like the idea. The only thing is, like, if you can make this somehow like some kind of standard where people can like integrate with it, it's almost like with Google, you can store all your contacts online. Mm-hmm. So if you had something like that where you can say sync to online and then like somehow have permissioning, then I could see this thing working out. Like the biggest problem right now is you have to get these devices to interact with your protocol. Right. That's what I see is the problem, right? Yeah. And there's some technologies that are already pretty close. Uh, it's built around OAuth. I used Orihydra. It's a really cool open source technology that does OAuth. You're still responsible for building the UI and the website that does all of it, but I built it around OAuth. And one of the things with OpenID, you can share this information and it's built into the protocol that you can share your phone numbers and addresses. And you can even say if they're, um, you know, verified phone numbers. Uh, so, It has an OAuth system, so other websites can use it. The thing that I'm working on next is adding an API so that you can get this data programmatically. So not only when you sign in, but you can get it later. And then once that API is there, I want to build a mobile app. And then it's really like it's API. You do the same thing with Google. You can give permission to people to access your data. Um, and it keeps track of who you shared it with. And so then it really becomes this open platform. Well, the thing is, OAuth not only does it, I don't, I think it does authentication, but also does authorization, right? Mm-hmm. So you could say, okay, this user has access to my email, but not my phone. So then when they try to, to get in, they could see your email, but they cannot see your phone because you don't give them that grant, right? Yep. Something like that. Yeah, it's been, that's more um, towards the open I ID feel, side. I feel very smart but, today. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely works. And it's a pretty well used protocol. What's so yeah, I built that in and then you can create an account and there's some other neat stuff related to privacy that um, the OAuth 2 already uses uh, pairwise identifiers and things like that. But it's really built around the privacy model, which is what I was hoping to talk a little more about how the connections are made and you know, specifically how Elixir does fits into this whole thing. But uh, as a high level, it's the whole sharing contact information, I think, is really cool. It's a good starting point, but it's definitely not where I want to end. This is just the beginning of basically sharing any type of data. And I'm looking forward to that day when we can talk a little more about that. But yeah, so let's start this up. So I just created a temporary link. So the website it's, is getseverus.com. 
So G-E-T-S-E-V-E-R-U-S.com. To make this a little easier, I create once you go to the homepage, you'll see there's a big test button. So try it now. I've gotten a couple people to go to the site. I haven't done too much for marketing yet, but I've seen people go to the site and bounce because creating an account who wants to share their email, set up a password and things like that. So you can click the try it now button and it'll create a temporary account. Uh, it says they'll be deleted after a week, but I didn't actually delete that yet, implement that. So within the next week or so, it should be deleted. But you can create an account. It'll assign a random email and a password that once you close the browser uh, or sign out, you won't be able to get back into it. So it's good for purposes like this, testing it out. And if you go to the invitations, there is one that is at the top, it says short code, and you can search. If you type in Q2Y8, MJ, you'll be able to see this invitation that I created. You can actually share your screen to us. Maybe it'd be easier for us to really follow along. Oh, sure. I'm trying to vision that. Yeah. There's a share button at the bottom. Novel listeners are like, but you can't share the screen to us. Join join the, the crowd. We can put a recording of only Eric's screen in the show notes. I mean, there's a demo on, on, on servers. You can basically check out the demo. Uh, on on Severus' mm-hmm. website, mm-hmm. and that goes, I guess, with the same steps we will do now. So, yeah. So this is signed in as me, and so I can see some different stuff, which is actually here. Let me do that. You might also uh, zoom in too, if you don't mind, because yeah, I have one of those ultra wide monitors, go. and it never makes uh, screen sharing work very well. So let me do one thing. And yeah, I'll walk you through what it will look like. So a new private window. And so here's the create a test account. When you go to the invitations, there's the short code. This is the one that I just shared earlier, Q2Y8MJ. When you search for that, it should show you this link. What's a little interesting about it is there's some public information. I chose to share my name, some notes, and that there's a phone number associated with it, but it doesn't say the phone number. You won't be able to see that until you respond to it. So you just create a response. Right now, I haven't created any information for this account, so there won't be much there. But once you save it, I will then see under mine, you know, there's a new response. This is all Phoenix Live View, so it updates automatically when the backend database changes. And so I can see that there's this response, and this is what I meant about you can tell me which response was yours. And so if anyone else responds to here, here's one of the responses. You see that they match on both sides. It's also... Um, that's an interesting <laughs> side note that I don't need to get too technical, but um, this will be different. It's based off of the UID of the response. And so any of those you'll see. And so I can just accept it. And then it creates a connection, which you'll see here. So this is the phone number that I shared. So if you want to do the same thing and go through the, click the invitation, search for this code, you can connect to me and get this phone number. And that was... How about the updating of your phone number? So let's say your phone number changes, then that would just be, is your, are you also tracking that in live view? So then the page on the right. Yeah, everything's, everything's live view. That's actually really exciting. So this is my view. So you'll see some more of my stuff and see my actual information, but let's go to that. And so yeah, update it to zero. You'll see that gets updated. The technical side is I think really exciting here, but important part is that on the, 
one that I've shared it with, it got updated instantaneously. And so anyone that uses this website will see it be updated. And that's why one of the big things is building out the API, a mobile app, or even Google Contacts integration so that as these things get updated, it can push to them. And you know, from a user experience, it'll look sort of seamless. You've already made the connection and you'll just go to your contacts and they're up to date. Wait, can you talk more about the Google contact integration? It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I haven't done it yet. That's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. The way that I built this out, we can get a little more technical about connections when when you're ready. But the way that I built it out was actually the contacts are completely separate from any of the shared data. And so if you go to your contacts, you can create new ones uh, that don't actually have to be connected, or you can do it as a connection. And so what I was going to do is add an external ID to all of them and a source so that you can pull everything in from Google. So you can see it here, but then also vice versa, that all of these can push to Google. And so again, I haven't built it yet, but I wanted to allow you to OAuth with Google and then share your contact information. And once you link it, it would be kept up to date. That's still um, a little further down on the roadmap. Right now, it's very much MVP. You can see that this works. It's sharing all the data. Um, and I wanted to get the OAuth done next. And then it was APIs. Do you know what's actually possible with the Google Contacts? Is it like you can actually just push your contact to everybody who's ever connected? Or how would that kind of stuff work? I don't think you can push it to everyone that's actually connected. That's what's pretty cool about this is that be, everyone has their own account, the Severus. And so all of the data gets synced with each one of those accounts. And so if you have an account and you sync it with Google, it will sync to your version, all of the data that you have in Severus. And so Severus will take care of pushing the data to the different users uh, that you've shared it with. And then for each user, if they have Google, it will just sync that way. But let's say like you have grandma saved in your phone. I don't think she would put her name as grandma in her Google account, right? So you have to somehow link those two, right? Correct. Yeah, the linking of the Google account is how you want it to do. What you how, how you want to take the data that you've been shared through Severus and you want to access it. Well, you want to access it in your phone so you can link it with Google. Everything has so let me show this. So the contacts. So when I created this connection, I did not share a name you can say, put, sorry, I'm typing grandma in here, which people can't see. And you can do that. So say there was another name that was shared. I don't know. First. Okay. So say the full name was shared through Severus, but you want to create a nickname for them. That's how you would do it. You can add your own additional information to the contact. You can edit the faults. You want it to go this way. And the idea would be that all of this data is what's going to sync in your phone. Okay. That's pretty cool. So... All of this is another powered by, by Elixir from what I've gathered so far. Yeah, Elixir has been such a great fit for this. I'm very happy with all of that. The live view has been amazing. And even though I feel uh, for an MVP, it wasn't something that I might not have needed, the fact that it's keeping contact information up to date, being able to show it, be kept up to date without doing a refresh was, was something I just had to do. It demos really well. Yeah, I can get that. Like, What exactly made you choose Elixir? I, mean, I guess maybe you, you probably come from a background where you used to use Elixir, but you just also said that it was a very good fit. Like, What exactly makes Elixir a good fit in this case? Yeah, so a little more about my background. I didn't talk too much about that. I started in web development around 2009 working for a company, Ankazam, and it was all Ruby on Rails. We did basically everything we could with web apps. That was a good fit sometimes. 
sometimes it was not so good of a fit. We were in the home healthcare space. And so we did a lot of medical record type stuff, setting up or companies and sending out IRS forms, things like that. One of the first projects that I did was actually a way to fill out a PDF form. So, you know, you get a PDF, some of them are fillable. You can, it did it automatically. And so these were IRS forms. You had to fill out a dozen of them. You had to fill out your first name and every single one of them. And so we did a way that you could enter your first name once into the website, and then it would populate all of the PDFs with that data. Which, uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, you might see sort of like my thought process has always been around this idea of, um, you know, sharing the contact information. But we did that. And then we did a billing system, which was really fun, uh, obviously very complex. It revolved around 837, 835 billing claims doing, yeah, a lot of process of billing, accounting, things like that. And we built it in this rail system. It was okay, but it was slow. And that was sort of where my journey to find something better started. I went through and instead of doing everything in a single process, we started forking the Ruby process and running it in multiple, basically batching the processing and doing it in multiple different processes. This was around 2014, so uh, quite a while ago. I don't even think there were fibers at that point, but the concurrency story was not great in Ruby. And so I started looking for other things. And Elixir was one of them that I found. It was just around 1.0. I think I started looking into it a little more before that. And it just seemed like a really great fit, especially with the concurrency model. And around that same time, the 2015 or so, the backend technology that I wrote to fill out those PDFs, I rewrote as a web service in Elixir. And it was amazingly fast and incredibly funny too. some of the things that uh, I ran into then. So it was filling out PDFs. It wound up calling a command line program and it was going so fast, it opened too many file handlers and I had to tell it to slow down and basically limit it and use a little bit more than just the task async. And so we built out that API that we could hook into. And that was when it was saying like, yeah, we've ran into these problems with Rails it doesn't scale when we need to get some real concurrency out of it. It doesn't work very well. We can build microservice API that we can talk to that can do the heavy lifting that we couldn't do in Rails. And having the Ruby on Rails background going to Elixir is pretty trivial to at least beginner level. It's a very similar language. I still sometimes make typos. I forget to add a do everywhere when I'm working between the Rails and Elixir. But it was really easy. And we had a whole bunch of developers that knew Ruby and Rails. I thought that this was a great fit. It solves the problems that we need. It will be very easy for Ruby and Rails developers to transition to. Uh, so let's use that. And we did do um, some of that. We built, uh, same time around 2015, a product that was basically it took a CSV and it changed the data a little bit and populated PDFs. And this was for an IRS form that everyone had to use in the healthcare space had to use. And uh, we charged money for it. And so we built a product way back in 2015. And that was sort of, it never took off at the organization like I'd really hoped, but there was always a place for it. We built several internal tools. We built a couple more products and yeah, it's been going since then. And so when I wanted to solve this, it was just natural that I was going to use Elixir. We had Live View. That was really exciting. And yeah, I don't have too much familiarity with many other languages, but you know, the occasional JavaScript that I have to write, I like not having to do that with uh, the full stack Phoenix. 
uh, the pedal stack. Yeah, nice. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so where do you see right now like the, the next steps? I mean, you talked a little bit about like what you might, might want to do feature-wise, but it's still also, I mean, for example, when you now put this at some point on product hunt, for example, and get like an insane amount of people to sign <laughs> up, like, right? Like, <laughs> well, what's your plan there? Like maybe on the technical side, but also on the product side, because I guess folks might be interested in both perspectives, you know? Yeah, the product roadmap, there's an awful lot on it. I think it might be easier to answer that with more of the technical how it was built, because then I think you'll start seeing how this can evolve. But to answer the question, it's finishing out the OAuth. I've been adding the ability to create organizations recently where you can have members to the organizations and basically you can make connections to organizations and share your contact information with them. I think that works really well with the idea of OAuth. So you can go to a website and it's an organization that you're sharing your information with. And then the mobile API, sorry, then the API for that. And then eventually the mobile app. A little further out than that, I'm really looking forward. I want the mobile app to be outsourced. Uh, sorry, open source. <laughs> also outsourced because I don't have much experience with that. But same thing with this. I want it to be an open API. The business model, the way that I anticipate getting money is by sharing this data with businesses. And so right now, businesses are paying money for this data. They just do it through other mechanisms. They do it through advertising, other aggregators, things like that. I'm trying to put it directly in control of the users and the users can choose who they share data with and who they stop sharing data with. I think and having it be up to date, I think that there's a very big value proposition there. Going to the dentist's office, spending five minutes, not just you filling out that form, but then someone entering it into their computer, uh, if you can eliminate that step, you're saving a lot of money. And so the business model is really all about the connections. And so what you do with the connections, I think, is any anyone's game. So I want to open them up. So I'm really looking forward to, as this gets a little further, splitting the front end from the back end and then opening up the front end. Uh, I want it to be open source. The more people that can use the platform, the better it will be. And it sort of reminded me, so one of the things actually was like, when I first heard of Twitter, it seemed like it was this thing that you could use to send arbitrary messages to other people. And it's like, okay, that's really cool. So you can build a game on that where you send a little bit of JSON to another user. And then it was like, well, no, it's only for text messages. Oh, Okay. Well, that's what I was hoping for. And the way that this is built with the connections is actually basically two event sourcing systems. Once you form a connection, each user has uh, each side of that connection. So it's a pair of connections that are linked together. You, can, uh, you have an event sourcing system that you can put messages into, and then the other recipient can read those messages. And so the way that this actually works, you create, let's just do your phone number. So you create your phone number, you store that with your account. When you create a connection, you say, you create an event that says, I want to share a phone number with you. You assign a unique ID for that phone number so you can reference it in that event sourcing system. And then you put the data of the phone number you want in it. And then that, that ends. The other side then picks it up and says, hey, do I have any new events from the event sourcing system? hey, there's a phone number that, that someone wants to allow me to subscribe to. Great, I'm going to take that and I'll put it in my contact system. I'll keep that foreign key reference so that if I ever see another phone number that says it's been updated with that ID, I can update it. And so um, it's just an event sourcing system between both sides. 
the content, when I came up with that approach, the ability to pass messages, the chat messages became incredibly simple. It's like a chat message is basically an event with some text in it. And then uh, you get that on the other side and you show that in your chat. And so everything goes through that event source system. Right now, there's only a couple things that are going through it, phone numbers, emails, the, the contact information, chats, but anything could go through it. And so there was actually a project that Adi and I worked on a while ago for SpawnFest, which was sort of like this idea is like, well, if anything goes through it, let's give it a type and let's validate that type. And so we can say a phone number message should look in a certain way, but we can also add new ones. And let's say, you know, adjacent schema for an ID, like your driver's license. What's on the driver's license? Well, it's actually different per state. Great. Let's come up with a JSON schema for it. And what you should be able to do is put that into the system as an event, and then you can share it with other people. And so I want to open that up. If we're doing the connections and we're charging based on the number of connections with businesses, and maybe for users after you have a certain number of connections, uh, but you can share any data, it becomes really powerful that you should be able to share anything. That The idea of Twitter, where you can have it a backbone for a video game that you want to make, like, yeah, of course, you can do that. You should be able to send arbitrary messages through it. And that's what uh, it's been developing. So that's why I'm really excited about where the API is going and opening that up to other developers so that uh, they can build all sorts of stuff. The, I'm not trying to do advertising. It's not the, the capture users the same way Twitter or Facebook wants you to be in front of the screen. What uh, I want to do is just build this so that other people can use it. There's so many uh, applications that I could not predict that this could be used for. And I want to open it up so that those can be created. Really excited. Again, this is future, but I was talking with Adi recently about zero-knowledge proofs. Things like that where, you know, it's one thing to share an ID, but it would be great if instead of sharing the ID, I could prove the fact that I have an ID that's been issued from my home state of Massachusetts without actually sharing a photo of that or the ID number that's on that. And I should be able to use that. And we can do that with the system. Uh, we will be able to use it. And then once you start doing other things like tying into OAuth and say like, yeah, I'm going to create this site that you can only sign into if you have one of these zero knowledge proofs that says you have an ID in Massachusetts and you can build communities. Or when you go to, when you go to college and you get that ID that's issued, you then have this thing that you can use later to prove that you were at college without actually showing an ID that will identify everyone as me being the Eric Sullivan that went to MIT and just be like, well, I went to MIT and I can prove that, but I don't need to show you an ID to prove that. And it's all about this idea of the connections, having data that you can share, that you own, that you can provide to other people to do interesting things. And that's where I hope to be in the future. It's still a ways off, but that's the technology that I'm building. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are.
And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, I think just to one of the huge values that I find in this as uh, like a tech leader of a healthcare tech health tech startup is like the OAuth side. Like it's it, it's huge. Like we we use these auth providers, uh, tried OAuth Zero, Okta. There is like no way for us to get real time updates on all of patients' information or a, a person's information, including their insurance or whatever, but that they have control over, right? And that they can sever the connection with from the enterprise as well through the OAuth model. I think it's huge. Uh, yeah, it, it could be a game changer. And also now that cat's out of the bag, I work with Eric. Eric was my first boss. Uh, <laughs> I am doing Elixir because of him, because when he introduced Elixir to and Sam, the company he mentioned, that, uh, that was exactly around the time when I joined. So my first language was Elixir, thanks to him. This is like a little reunion. <laughs> it is. We've been meeting. I would say if anyone ever gets a chance to work with Adi, I was his mentor. Uh, the tables have turned. I'd say he's now definitely an advisor um, to me in what I'm doing. If you get a chance to work with him, I would highly recommend it. I mean, Adi, Adi is known to like shout out recruiting uh, messages, right? Like, I mean, maybe, maybe you should shout out some more for, for your place of work, Adi, so people can, gra- can, exi- can grab excitedly the opportunity. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> yeah, that, it was funny. That was back in 2015 uh, in preparation for this call. I was trying to make sure that I had all the dates. And it was a training exercise that we did with a group of Rails developers to build the ICD-10 codes. It was just a lookup for those codes and what the translation was for them. And that was about the same time that I was getting interested in Elixir, thinking we should do this. I was like, okay, Adi, let's do the same thing in Elixir. And we did it far faster. And this was, you'd been working with Rails for a couple weeks less on Elixir. And it was just a really great language to use. I'd like to circle back on something you said I said earlier, especially because you said like it's basically two event sourcing systems work, mm-hmm. and you also mentioned like the right to be forgotten, and like that's that combination that, that is the thing I've, I've used to work on an event sourced system, and the point like one point of event source systems is right like you never delete or mm. meddle with the event stream after we re-recorded it. But then again, like what, what if a person, like what if a user comes along using servers for a while, has a bunch of data in there, and then they say, hey, GDPR, please forget me. Like, <laughs> how right. does that fit with the idea? Because yeah, that's it's, what it's I said. It's, it's sort of an event sourcing system. Um, you can think of it as an event sourcing system. Uh, might also be more like, you know, the Kafka event stream that doesn't have infinite retention. So the idea was that I would keep all of the events for about a month or so, long enough that any downstream systems could be able to access them. After a month, what is the use of it being there? We still do have all of the stuff which says um, on the sender side, we keep track of the fact that I shared something with this other user. Maybe the event is no longer in there, but I do have the record that I shared it with them. So I can say, you know, now delete this. And yeah, that's actually one of the things with the uh, the try now button that, again, I was hustling a little bit to try to make sure that this demo could go well. And so I added that try it now button. Um, I haven't got the deletion done yet, but I'm doing real deletion. 
and not sort of changing a Boolean flag on the user that'll say like, yep, this account isn't active. I don't think that's right. You should be able to be forgotten. And I do have to revisit a lawyer and have better terms of service, the privacy policy and stuff. I used uh, an online generator, but that's still a little bit away. But I do want the privacy policy to read more like the GDPR that in fact, yes, you share this data. The user who shares the data is the owner of it. When they say to remove it, you need to remove it as far as you can legally. There's still um, you know, some tax purposes, know your consumer reporting things that there may be a legitimate business need that it needs to be retained for longer. But as much as possible, the terms of service are deleted. And so that's what we'll be doing in this system. And so once the account's gone, all of the uh, event sourcing, the connections, all of that is going to be removed. Yeah, okay, that, that, that makes more sense then. I was yeah. super curious about that, but because, because there are some other really fancy solutions for that out, so like if any of our listeners are dealing with that problem, like one thing, one approach I've heard is like crypto thrashing, where you basically every event stream, user event stream has like its own encryption key, uh, key pair. Yeah. And if like somebody says, okay, like now please forget me, you just throw the key away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a pretty smart way of going about it. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Until quantum chips become very <laughs> readily available. <laughs> but uh, maybe let's cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh, the yeah. encryption is a really exciting one. Um, so the chat that I built into it was more a proof of concept that we could do chat. And I thought it would be very useful to be able to, you know, with a click of a button or two, have a chat and then forget about it. But it's not a completely end-to-end encrypted. That's one of the things that's on the roadmap. But it's also, if I get to it, I will. It's also if someone else gets to it. Because of the way that you can share arbitrary data, you can share your GPG keys, and then you can actually do your own encryption once the APIs are open. I prefer that a lot more, yeah. Yeah, hey, just not everyone wants to manage uh, their keys, <laughs> but... <laughs> I do have a question for Sasha, actually. Sasha, you I know you have a lot of experience with event sourcing, at least probably the most in this room right now. And do you, if we are storing events without persisting events forever is it event sourcing no no okay uh, <laughs> arguably not <laughs> right uh, is there is there is there a term is there something called short-term event sourcing if not we can start the term now <laughs> it, it's basically event driven right like i mean uh, right. the question at the end of the day is like what is your source of truth and if you can throw everything away except for the events because then you're screwed then it's event sourcing but if you can throw the events away and can still retain um, record of, of everything else which is important then it's technically about event sourcing yeah so yeah I, I guess i mean at the end of the day it's probably semantics because i mean uh, de- depending on how exactly you model your system and even if it starts off as an event source system you could probably say okay now i'm going to throw my events away and I'm just going to use the table like a user cut table which actually we did in that event sourcing project I mentioned earlier. Like we, we, we did start with using event sourcing for everything because, well, it's exciting. Let's use it everything, right? And then we realized it's actually a very bad fit for like user data, especially, especially in the context of like GDPR and right to be forgotten. So we did, we removed the event sourcing there. So, but we of course kept the, the table where like the events were projected to, and then that just became a regular crop table. And the nice mm-hmm. thing about that after that was like, okay, the user was the referenced in like other events, which were retained indefinitely. But to be forgotten, we just deleted that one row <laughs> of a user table database. And like, then it was just a UUID. You can't trace back a UUID to a person, right? Unless that data is there. So yeah, I guess it's a bit of semantics. Uh, but the main yeah. idea of, of user event sourcing is that like the events are the source of truth. 
So yeah. for that one month period for that component of system that uses the, that one month's data, that is event source, but the overall system is not. Yeah. Is that, is, yeah. is, is that a I way guess. you put it? Okay. I guess yeah. probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I liked it with the event source because you get some of the terms. And so the data that you have is, you know, a projection. If we're not going to use the event source in techn- terminology, I'll have to call it something else. Yeah, I mean, if, if, to explain it, like, sorry. Sorry, is there something in event sourcing where like, you can take everything and then combine it into something and then start again from there. So it's like every time you have a bank statement every month, right? You don't get everything from when you open up your account. You get like, okay, here's a snapshot at the beginning of the month or end of last month or whatever they do. And then you have your your things. There's a word for that, right? I think snapshots. Snapshot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so couldn't you just basically like take the event sources of a user and just basically combine it into one event as like a kind of like a mini snapshot and say, like, okay, this is the event of that user and kind of like treat that as a way to handle GDPR or is that maybe too difficult or really out there? Well, snapshots will still have that information, right? I'm not too sure. I'm just guessing because I remember reading about snapshots and like, to me, it's like a way of kind of like shortcutting because you're like, if you don't, you don't want to replay all million events, right? You want to kind of shorten right. that if you ever need that. So could you do something like that where you can kind of somehow snapshot all these different events into one? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to think in my head how you could do something like that and, and still kind of be somewhat compliant. I don't think you can, right? Because I think if the po- problem becomes the source of your data is still events, even though through snapshots, right? If you want to replicate all the data, you will still do it through events or snapshots. But if you want GDPR, it used to be forgotten. You, by design, should not be able to replicate data. Yeah. So, well, yeah, right. We forgot basically had... means that even if you want to, you can no longer trace it back to the user. Like even if you okay. want to. Right. What if you could somehow remove those sections of saying like name and email, all these kind of private information, and kind of combine those into one, or, or like like taking all these edits and then combine them into one, and then make that an event. I don't know. Or maybe I guess the point of events is they're not supposed to be. Uh, changeable, right? They're immutable. Yeah, exactly. Right? So because like, the, 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 the so my idea was just as useless. Yeah. The, the, okay. the second you make events and event source system updatable, you, you get a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I mean, like, yeah, there sure. are a whole host of design things you can do if you know events are immutable. If you know, the, okay, I've seen this event once and now I need to never look at it again because it's not going to change. Like yeah. the, the, that's a very nice, very nice property <laughs> of events yeah. and event sourcing. I actually like okay, that was a little story time. Basically, we got derailed a little bit, but but this this is relevant because um in in that sad project we had to actually map like an event stream from an external provider to our event source system, but this sad event stream didn't have the property of having immutable events, and that was hella messy. <laughs> That was so bad. Like we basically introduced an, an event which was like event updated because <laughs> we we couldn't do the same thing with our events stream, right? Like we we couldn't go ahead and say, okay, like let's just change the event over there, but we had to to map that these these changeable events to like a stream of events, immutable events ourselves. So we had like event edit or something like that, and then we had event updated and event deleted because they could also be deleted. Yeah, that that, that was not fun because then you, you need to look at all the events every time, every single time and figure out, okay, what exactly changed? Unless you have like a way to say, okay, please give me everything which changed since X, which makes it nicer. But still, like uh, things get messy very quickly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you probably, in, even in a true event source system, at some point, you will get rid of some legacy events because, I mean, the, soft, the software system under the hood will change, and you might have events in there which are like 
10 years old maybe at some point. And then you really wanted, don't want to deal with the struggle of, okay, I still need to be able to process these events. So I may, may, to, may have to jump through some like on-the-fly migration hoops to like migrate it to version 2, version 3, version 4, version 5. At that point, snapshots enter the equation. They say, okay, maybe now let's take a snapshot of, of all the, for example, user streams. Let's use that as the root and throw away the events before that because it's just not worth the hassle of keeping the record until the back end of time and they're keeping this backwards compatibility, so to speak. And then arguably, I mean, and it's not much different from saying, okay, I, I keep the event stream for one month and use it. Like, it's semantics. Like I said, it's semantics at that point. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think the best best way I've heard of handling the GDPR stuff is the crypt- cryptography. It is expensive, but like, I'm sure you can like find a way to like, you know, make it optimize it somehow. But I think that's the best solution I've heard of. Like, while still keeping event as a source of truth, truth becomes the truth changes in context of application when you remove a user, but still events are overall producing the same intakes from application perspective. I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's the best, but it's definitely the most elegant way of it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the best always depends on your specific subject, for right? sure. <laughs> okay, we kind of got a little bit derailed, but I still, um, so <laughs> where did we leave off? I, I forgot, my brain is still not working quite right after be ha- having COVID. We asked okay. him about the removing of data and GDPR came up about when you remove customers. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. So um, I, one thing I wanted to ask, and I'm not sure if Alan asked it earlier, Eric, is like, because like, that's something we talked about briefly, is that, for example, now now I do update my home address and I'd say, okay, like Adi can know my no, new home address and you, Eric, can know my new home address, but Alan, now he's been sending me these weird Christmas cards. I don't want to have my new home address, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> is that a thing you're planning to do? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's already in there. I stopped sharing my screen. I can share it again if you want to see it. But yeah, you can share, uh, you can see through the contact, all the data that you've shared with them, it's called the connection. And you can add more stuff that you want to share with them or remove stuff. And yeah, okay. um, that's all built out and you can see that. And so if you're about to move and you don't want a bunch of people to have your new address, you can go through those people, stop sharing your address with them. And then when you update your address, everyone that you still have it shared with will get the update. You can also go through your contact, your info, and you can click on your address and see everyone that you've ever shared it with and remove them from there as well. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But, but like I said, that, that sounds especially used in the context of companies where you like might, might have shared that and then you move and then they say like, nah, Nah, yeah. those those yeah. won't get my like my my, my my local dentist that I moved like halfway across the country, right? Like they don't need my right. address. <laughs> right. And that's you don't have that sort of control when you um you know do the mail forwarding. Yeah, uh, exactly. So yeah, it definitely gives you the ability to control that. The the other really interesting thing is where I'm trying to go with this, I I don't think I've mentioned it yet, is that the whole contact information is the, the, the way to start this, but that I don't really want to use phone numbers or email or, you know, addresses are going to be a little tricky because it's a physical location. But once there's enough uptake with this and you start having other people use it, we get to that mobile side. I want to be able to. So I said earlier, I used the Google voice number. It's using voice over IP. Uh, you should be able to use voice over IP seamlessly through the service without ever sharing a phone number. And then there, I want to build it so that you can do other stuff like, yeah, you know, if you're going to change your number every month, why not change it every week? Why not change it every day? Like, actually, why not change it every time you make a phone call? 
And that's one of the really interesting things about this, where it can go. Again, there's some other similar technologies. If you have Android, there's a way as a business, you can let someone know why you're calling, which was pretty cool when I looked into how they did it. It's basically a website you can go to, you type in the phone number you're going to be calling and the reason, and then Google will push that data to the user's phone in their contact so that when they get the phone call, it'll say like, oh yeah, look, we knew this was this person was going to be calling. Now we know why. But that's for businesses. I really like the idea of being able to do that for anyone. And so um, I'm going to call Audi. I'm going to actually call from a random voiceover IP number. Well, because I've already shared that I had this connection, I will assign a random number push it to his phone. I can even say why I'm calling if I really want to, and he'll know that I'm calling. It's a way to get rid of that whole uh, spam and from the email and the phone perspective. And then as the system goes a little further, like, well, what, you know, do we need the phone numbers? Like, there are probably legacy reasons why you might, but uh, I'm trying to get past even using those. And um, I think that that side is really interesting. Apple has that signing with Apple, use an obfuscated ID, the email forwarding. I want to eventually include stuff like that in this. Same thing with the phone. It's all about trying to move a little past them because unfortunately sharing these globally unique identifiers is what allows companies to do things like the targeted advertising and selling your data and putting it in aggregators and all of that. If we can get rid of any globally unique identifiers, then we can approach it that side. And uh, so I'm doing it from the technical side, but there's also the legal side and there are the terms of service. And you know, said, I want it to be like the GDPR and there will be terms of service that you know, dictate as much. So um, you know, don't share this data with third parties. And also it's really hard to share with third parties if you don't have any way to correlate the user between multiple systems. That's really epic. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like you have your work cut out for you, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> I, I do have quite a bit left, yeah. So I guess for the for all the... Elixir startups, Elixir startups who are looking for an identity provider, uh, who cares about who care about users owning their information and real time updates. Where is your OAuth side slash organization and enterprise side of the application at right now? What's the roadmap for that? Yeah, the OAuth side is actually built out and it works. What I it, it's actually kind of funny. The way that it, I built it is that it uses OAuth to sign in itself, which allowed me to do some really interesting things. Phoenix Live View, you can't update the session. There are some ways to sort of trick around that, like going back to a regular connection and then updated to Live View. And there's actually some really interesting stuff about how you have to do that. And basically, you send a message to the web app, sends a message to itself, but through the user. And so you have to sign and possibly encrypt that if you don't want the users to be able to see it so that you can verify that, yes, I actually sent this. And so getting into the session is pretty hard. But what I wound up doing is I use that Ori Hydra. And so it is the sign-in process. It switches over to Ori Hydra, which needs to have its own session. It winds up being just live view. And so it's completely stateful for that sign-in process and then once the sign-in's fi- finished, it goes back to the regular the OAuth call. And so because the regular OAuth call is the regular connection, then we can set the session. So that makes sense. 
Yeah, it worked out really well. So it was sort of you know, that dog fooding process. But so I do have the OAuth there. There's a little special logic related to when Spider Silk's calling for the OAuth, not to show the extra, you know, do you want Spider Silk to be able to access your data side? But that that's already there. And so what I wanted, I didn't make that public yet. So um, there's a hidden URL if you go to, you can actually do it. But what I wanted to bring is the organizations to it. And then under the organizations, OAuth makes a lot more sense. And so then you can have multiple users in that organization. They can see all that data. You can create the API keys and that. So that one's really close. Not quite done yet, but organizations will be done pretty soon. And then OAuth. I don't think by the time this is live, but pretty soon it will be available. And then, yeah, as you said, it's an alternative to the identity providers. And one of the things that I... I'm a little surprised about with the identity providers is that so many of them seem to be, they want you to create an account for every organization you want to talk to. And Okta, like that's one of the possibilities that I don't know why it's not more like on the social side where you create one Twitter account and then or one Facebook account and you can use that to sign into a whole bunch of accounts. And so that's the approach that I've taken here is that there is one account Severus that you sign into, and you can use all of these other sites through that OAuth. And that's what like I'm really excited too about the security. I have two-factor auth, not great it's TOTP codes. I want to add the web auth in, but I really like the idea. There's this whole other push towards a password list and making accounts really easy, but it's because some of the times, because you don't really want to trust that Google will always allow you to have your account and you don't want to tie your identity to that. This is you know a different way to tie your identity and uh, share it with other organizations. So it's really like closer to that side. You should be able to one place enter your contact information, and then with everyone that you sign in through and you technically are creating an account on them, well, they should still have the same information. I don't really want to create an account on every single one of those where I enter my name. So yeah, and answer the question, it's really close. I'd guess about a month or so, and then it should be ready for other users to um, set up an OAuth site. And actually, that's one of the things that I'm really excited too. I want to build a demo site, which you know, is sort of like a community where you can go to and use this OAuth to sign in and see what's shared. And then anyone who signs in can also see from the organization. And so you, you can see more of the privacy model, how when you link to an organization, the organization gets assigned a unique ID for you. And then if you uh, unlink your account and then link up again, it actually gets a new ID. You look like a different person. And you can use that same... Yeah. Anyway, the idea is that you should be able to uh, completely sever it. And then when you start again, it's all completely new. All the IDs will be different, all the data that you share. And the only way that they can correlate that it was you is through the data you share. So if you're sharing your email address, they can tell that it's you, which is, again, why I'm really excited about this process. Someday, I want to have something analogous to email. You know, why are you using email? It's a forgotten password thing. Well, we can get rid of that. What about like the new device sign-in? Okay, well, why can't we just put a notification to someone? It doesn't really need to be email. You should be able to use a lot of these e-commerce sites without an email. And that's eventually where I'm hoping it goes, if people find the idea interesting enough. Guess, guess time will tell. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. we, we can reinvite you in like one year and then and see, you, see where... Yeah, see what happens, basically. <laughs> that would be very fun. Okay, folks, unless you'd like to have some last questions for Eric, then I'm going to slowly transition us to picks. I have one question. I'm surprised why Alan isn't asking that. Whenever we have a lively person, that's Alan's 
one of the go-to questions, like how are you testing hooks in Livey? If if you're doing any testing on that, Eric, hooks. I do. I am just using the tests that come with LiveView, not doing any other integration approaches. But yeah, it is all tested. I did write a blog on LiveView. It's on Integra.co. I just published it a couple days ago that talks about using LiveView and uh, setting the current user so it's available in LiveView, making sure that the data gets created, but then hooking into the PubSub system with Ecto and then make sure the live views get up to date. And that is tested too. I will post the events to the live view to make sure that they work. But yeah, the, I haven't used many hooks. Which one? I think the QR code is a hook. Uh, I'd have to look at the code. I haven't done much with the live view hooks is probably the short answer. The answer to this question is always, I don't, because I haven't found anything. I, I went through the entire course of the testing live view. There was no satisfactory uh, answer for this problem, other than you can use something like Wallaby, or you can just kind of test things separately. So that seems to be the only thing I can find. I need to, I need to actually read the Phoenix live view book, and let me see if there's anything else in there, because I have to think there might be some other opinion in that one. Oh. Okay, then uh, Eric, how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Oh, yeah, I do have Twitter. I don't use Twitter very much. What was it? Eric Sullivan 15, I think. The um, easiest way is if you really want to get in touch with me on the Severus website, there's a about me. You know, it links to a contact page that you can go to and you'll get a phone number and an email and my name and you can use that to keep in touch with me. Uh, I'd actually probably say go through that process. Or you can make an account in Severus and get in touch with Eric on Severus. Yeah, sorry, that's, it was Severus. It was, uh, on Enterico, there's a link to an invitation in Severus. That's for me. And so, yeah, there's a, another step further, which will be public invitations. And so you can see those. But yeah, right now it's still private. But you click on the invitation, you'll link to me, and uh, then you'll have all that contact info. Okay, so nice. So people can just start adding you on Severus without... I mean, of course, you have to accept, right? But they can just start a- trying to add you. So yeah, it's like so, you have to give to them, and then they have to accept. Yeah, so that's um, one of the quality of life improvements that I'll be making. If you go to the company and see about us, it says founded by Eric Sullivan. It's a link to Get Severus. They're all um, all the invitations are UUID codes, so I'm not going to read that over the air. It's a little too long. That's why, um, for purposes of this demo, I did the short code, which um, that was actually a fun technical problem that I can probably write a blog about. But yeah, you go to the invitation and create a response, share your name, whatever you want, how you want me to be able to get in contact with you if you do. And then I can see those responses. If I don't get it, I think in 15 minutes or so, it'll send an email so I can accept them. There was going to be a button which is automatically accept. I haven't implemented that yet, but that'll probably be pretty soon. And then yeah, so you the invitation is out there. Once you respond to it, I'll we'll be able to keep in touch. Nice. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, then let us transition to picks, folks. And Alan, why don't you start us off this week? What is your pick for the week? So I finally, I think after this call, I'm going to actually try my best to finish the last two videos of the free live view course. So I've been trying to dig more and more into live view because I feel like I'm not good enough still. 
And uh, yeah, so far, I'm actually quite loving it. Uh, I think most of it I already know, but there's a couple of tips and tricks in there that I think were good. And then, uh, yeah, so that's that's for me. So that's the one from Pragmatic Studio. And let me do my, I think this might be my first non-technical pick, at least in a while. My dad handed to me that he sent me a wonderful calendar. Of course, the first thing I saw was that it's going to be a little bit inappropriate because he said that I'm going <laughs> to love it, but my SO will not love it. And so I was super excited. And then he finally told me that, hey, you know, it's not like that. It's this beautiful calendar. So you guys cannot see this. It says nature calls on it and it's a dog. So literally it's one dog doing its business every month for the whole year. So if you're into weird stuff, yeah, I think every guy in this room is, is loving this calendar. I haven't met a guy who didn't love his calendar, except for a guy who didn't like dogs. It's just a great thing to hang up in the office, conversation starter. Most of the time you can't really see the business, but I think that it's a uh, it's something awesome to send to any guy out there i love pugs so i think this is a great calendar so i'll be sure to send it out so you can find it on amazon i think it's pretty office friendly but uh let your office set the policy for that if hr comes find you that's your problem but anyways great calendar those are my two picks that's definitely the weirdest pick i've heard yet on this show <laughs> oh gosh okay adi <laughs> <laughs> Your pick. Yeah, I, mean, I think the bar, the bar has been laid, right? The bar has been raised. For sure. Actually, since Alan raised the bar, I'm going to pick something that usually Alan picks, uh, a Rust book. It's it's called Creative Projects for Rust Programmers. Not sure if Alan has picked it already in one of the past podcasts. It's a packed publishing book. It's, uh, yeah, got a lot of fun projects. If you want to dive into a Rust, learn about different things while doing creative projects <laughs> check out this book i have a non-pick so think of it as like saving your time right don't watch the batman yeah don't that's watch it. the Batman. save yourself those three hours or two and a half hours anyway that's pretty much it <laughs> week, week of interesting picks for sure okay so let me get on my notes um my picks for the week completely games related but also like charity games related because um there are two pretty great game bundles out there which com go completely to charity and to be specific go completely towards supporting charities in the ukraine and one is the humble bundle stand with ukraine and that has actually a number of titles which are like if you're into gaming you probably even heard of some of those so like definitely worth looking into and i mean again 100 of the, of the money which goes into that also goes to the charities and if you're like into more nerdy weird indie games not necessarily all of them but like if you like that kind of content then there's also an itch.io bundle for ukraine which same story, all of the proceeds go towards charities in Ukraine. And there is some like really, really weird stuff in, in that bundle. Like if so if you're into that kind of content, then I guess the HIO bundle is also definitely worth a look. And those are my two picks for the weeks. And I mean, if you get both bundles, you're probably served with games for the next five years, I guess. Like I mean there's a hell of a lot of content in there. Like seriously. So yeah, definitely check those out. And Eric, do you have any picks for us this week? Sure. I think following up on the dog lover comment and odd picks, a Belgian Malinois, uh, I just got a puppy, was a great pick. I'd highly recommend that. She's adorable and uh, it's a lovely breed that not too many people know about. We did just watch them starring in John Wick, though. They're pretty amazing animals. One of my picks, the another one to take up a lot of time, video games, Horizon Forbidden West, I don't know if you've mentioned that one yet, has been taking up 
far too much of my time, um, more than it should. But it's a great game if you do have some extra hours that you want to spend. And um, getseverus.com, the product, of course. I'd love anyone that could try it out, give me feedback. Really appreciate it. There's a fourth time someone picked Horizon Forbidden Rest, so all the listeners should definitely go and play. Okay. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. It's been picked repeatedly. <laughs> okay, Game of the then. year, then. Uh, I, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But nobody has picked Elden Ring. Oh no, you have picked Elden Ring. You have picked Elden Ring, right? Okay. Which is <laughs> okay. So to, to get to the end of things, uh, it was a pleasure having you, Eric. Thanks for coming onto the show. Yeah, of course. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And yeah, folks, definitely get some games, get some calendars for your, for your loved ones, and tune in next time when we have another episode of Elixir Mix. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.